Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. And today got a very special guest. He is the editor of the vertical.com. You can also listen to this podcast, the vertical podcast with Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski. Nobody's more plugged in on all things going on in the NBA. we got some big stories to talk to him about today. Hey, Adrian, thanks for coming on, man. Chris, thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. So you dropped one yesterday. Referees union charging NBA's allowing Mark Cuban to wield power over refs via threats and intimidation. You were able to attain some documents that came out from the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, documents you were not supposed to see. (laughs) They were supposed to be internal that have been going on with the referees. When you first find out about this story, when you're reading through the documents, what are you thinking? Well, Chris, it's been this has been an ongoing issue between you know the the referees association, the referees union, the league office, and, and Cuban. And the story is a little bit broader than Cuban. There's no question he was the headline. He is the headline to the story. But the broader story here is the referees feeling with Cuban front and center in this way, but others that it's become open season on them. And, and the last straw, if you read through the memos and you talk to people, the last straw for them was uh, January 30th in Houston, when doc and Austin rivers were both thrown out of the game. And given the language that the referee report uh, indicated that doc had used when he was thrown out and then, Austin not leaving the court, kind of going back at the refs, needing security guy, and then J.J. Reddick to come pull him off, that there were no additional penalties there. In April, and I found this in my reporting, April 15th, the league issued a memo last year calling for essentially an enhanced penalties, that they had agreed that there had been, there had been an escalation in how people, uh, whether it was owners, coaches, executives, players, anybody around that court area, uh, how they were interacting with refs and that it had gone, that it was getting uh, a little bit out of hand. And the league, but a lot of that conversation and sort of the walk up to that, and you see it in the memos and then in my reporting, a lot of it was centered around the Referees Association complaints about Cuban. And they list a litany of episodes, courtside at Maverick games with him and refs um, that the union really was pushing for the league to deal with it. And that memo, uh, that directive from the league office in April, which was not public until I reported it, it stayed quiet, you know, spoke to, Hey, enhanced penalties. And they felt the referees association felt in the time last year after that, that it did calm down. It did kind of put people back on their heels a little bit. The Mavericks were also eliminated um, you know, they weren't in the playoffs very long. So that um, kind of put it to bed for last season. And then they felt this year it had started up all again. There were, in, there were incidents with uh, episodes with Cuban, with Robert Sarver in Phoenix. And, you know, the referees felt like they were, you know, you could see the in the sequence of memos, uh, their frustration with the league office. But the issues with Cuban go back a long time. This isn't new, but but it has come to a head from the referee association's point of view. When they're asking for increased penalties, are we talking money? Yes. 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 I mean, essentially, money suspensions just enhanced um, that, you know, there were certain types of behavior that was going to be dealt with more severely. And right. they were they felt like the the river situation in Houston wasn't dealt with some of the ones and you see it in the memos between Byron Sproul, who's the head of operations for the league and oversees the refs and Lee Seum, who's the general counsel for the referees union. You see it and they're back and forth um, that the league felt it didn't rise to the level, but the secondary issue. Uh, and I think more, more pressing or more worrisome for the referees is their belief that Cuban has that Mark Cuban has uh, influence in the league office more so than other owners or, or certainly executives in the league that he has impact in the high, in, in the, you know, in the termination of referees, they felt like he played a hand in the termination of a referee named Kevin fair, who was let go a couple years ago, who the union says met the league's uh, Mark benchmark 
uh, in terms of the grading system and was let go. And remember, the union wants to – their job is to protect their referees and to keep guys employed. I mean, that's, that's what their role is. And, uh, but the feeling is, is that, you know, and if you see the verbiage from Lyceum who, who charges Cuban with coming out and saying at different times, hey, I, you know, when he says to a ref during a game – Hey, I read, I read your reports, meaning I see what you say about me. And that's, if you're a ref and you're wondering, well, if indeed Mark said that, uh, you know, is that, is that his way of telling me I've got control over your, I can impact your um, employment. I can impact your future. Now, Mark says that's not the case. He, he wrote a pretty, uh, uh, pretty lengthy response that we posted on the site, um, where he didn't answer all of them directly, but gave his point of view on, A, some frustrations he had with officiating and consistency, but more his issue has been with management, the supervision, the management of officials, uh, how they're, uh, I think, the recruiting, the hiring, the, the improvement that goes on, and then who's managing them. If he, you know, I think he's a believer in that just because you were a good referee, and he says it's just because you were a good referee doesn't mean you're a good manager of referees. And so I know he, he's certainly been, and he's not the only one in, in that area around the league. He's been the loudest about it, uh, maybe the most um, public about it, but others, you know, have looked at the process in which referees are uh, trained, recruited, and, um, you know, and then how, you know, how they carry out, you know, the, how they carry out within the league, whatever the mandates on uh, points of emphasis, um, what, you know, what they want, what supervisors, what the league wants in terms of how games are called, if they're implementing that on the floor. I did have to chuckle at one point, you know, because one of, one of the things that's levied is basically uh, the, the, the idea that he's got their career in his hands at some point. And I, I chuckled when he mentioned like, Basically, I knew they had a pension, right? I'm not calling for guys to be fired. I knew they would be okay. I did think, honestly, Adrian, he made some good points um, in terms of the, you know, you've been in the league for a long, long time. You're you're graded on your performance. If you've been in the league that long and you haven't been assigned to playoff games, like what's the point? Why don't we get, there's probably somebody out there that can do the job better. Um, you know, because well, in any job. And I think the argument is, I think the argument is, there may not be. And that the only, you know, people who officiate, and the other side of this is, the only way to get better as an NBA official is to be an NBA official. That it does, that you'll see generally the grades go up. Um, that doesn't mean it's supposed to be a lifetime job. But I do think, though, the belief that, well, there's just somebody better. There may not be somebody grading out better. Um, in the D-League, in their feeder systems, if I'm a college ref, and, and, I've, and I've heard this, frustration with some people who, who think that it's not an ideal. If you've got it really good as a college ref, if you're really good in that world and you're a really good young college ref, what's your motivation to want to go be an NBA ref? That, that the level of, uh, listen, I, I get the scrutiny. The scrutiny is there as a player in anything, but that it is the harshness with which with which you're judged, and I'm not saying it's fair or unfair, but just the reality of it is: is it an environment where they can recruit the best college guys, the young guys who are on their way up, who could make that transition, um, and identify them there and say, "Let's get them into our league." Um, is that more appealing than just being able to do college the way you can do it? Make you might make a little less money uh, in college and have to work. You know, if you're working multiple leagues. Um, most of those guys have another job. Obviously, it's a shorter season, uh, but it's not a bad life. And have, has the NBA made it that much more um, that much more appealing to recruit out of there? Because I, I do know the thing. Well, just go get someone else if we don't think this guy's as good. But there has to be what's the measuring? What's the measure of that? Well, somebody else is just as good. Bring them in. That, that's a hard way because what if they're not? What if they're much worse? What do refs make? I honestly have no idea. You know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. They did a new CBA two years ago. Um, I want to say, and we can look this up here. I want to say in the, it, it certainly it goes by seniority experience. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think anywhere in the three to five hundred thousand dollar range, uh, but but we, we should check on that before we're. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, okay, here uh, we go. I don't have the new the new numbers this in front is, of us. I just I, I just typed it in. It said uh, referees in the NBA make anywhere from uh, hundred thousand to five hundred fifty thousand. That was yeah. at least one. That yeah. was at least one. Who knows? But that was about where. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, that, that's what I would think, right? Because I was just looking, uh, thinking about that to your point of what is the motivation? Obviously, the motivation to most people's profession is money, right? I can make a, I can make mm-hmm. a lot more money doing it. Um, but hmm. it's been, that's been a conversation with a lot of people in the years of, are yeah. we recruiting the best? Should we go recruit more ex-players? You know, Leon Woods, a ref in the league, Haywood Workman, they were players in the NBA. Um, is that an avenue to keep looking at um, how do we go get the best possible candidates? And I think that is a real focus of theirs is trying to find um, a feel like that they've got the best possible feeder system. But I think there's two separate issues here. I think there's one issue of improving referees, improving the officiating in the league. Um, a lot of teams, a lot of organizations want more transparency. They want more information, more data on referees, calls, patterns. Um, you know, I know one particular team who is in the lottery and their own research shows that they get a much, they got a much worse whistle um, when they were a bad team versus when they became mediocre versus when they've gotten better. And so are you, so coaches want to know, are we officiated differently because we're losing and what are the patterns and how do I need to adjust style of play game plan? And those are, you know, that, that, there's a lot that goes into how teams examine it. All those issues are separate from, I don't care if they're, I think what part of the player, the referees association, the referees are saying is that is a separate issue from intimidation, bullying, threats. You, you can't go around and do that, right? Now, now Mark will say, you know, that's their side of it. So everyone wants to say, well, the refs are terrible. You can do whatever you want to them. I don't think that's really how it works. Like, do I don't you, think that's how this country think, works. I don't think so, so that that would be a defense to that. But yeah, um, I do think the general public generally thinks, well, stop whining. You guys aren't any good. Or that's their for people. Some people's perception. You take whatever you have to take. And that's really not how it's supposed to be. You're talking to team executives all the time on a daily basis. In fact, do you feel like Cuban is doing the owner's bidding in this, that that the majority feel the same way as him, but they aren't necessarily on the front row of the sideline cursing a ref out in the course of a game. Well, I, I guess it depends what you're asking. What is he doing? Is he, if it's about on the court behavior? No, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody thinks that has great no, no, value. I just mean trying to change things up. The, the idea that the officiating in the NBA yeah, is a real well, problem. Yeah, I, yeah there, there are a lot of executives who feel it's not very good. And that's not just on bad teams. That's on good teams, contenders. But I think it's also there's frustration with the management of them. And how they, like I think, and Cuban said this in his response, it's, not, it's, it's more the mandates given to them um, and – how again, how they're managed and who's in charge of them. And I think that's been a real focus of Adam Silver since he took over is what's the best system that I can have here to allow um, for my refs to get better, for you know, everybody in the league to feel like it's not an issue. And you know, the LM2s are a big issue. And you know, some people within the league office will call the LM2s the Cuban rule, that they felt like he was he pushes hard for those as any. Now, what Cuban even said in his response to our story yesterday was, "Hey, the LM2s before now this was his view of it. Before the LM2s, people said the league was fixed. Well, now that they see the um, the league put out in close games, you know, essentially a blow by blow of the last couple minutes um, and and evaluations of calls made, that you don't hear that charge anymore. People don't say that like they used to." Um, and that that's impacted that. So, you know, that's, I, I don't think the, the, the referees would prefer that the LM2, not prefer, the, the referees don't like the LM2. They don't like, um, they, they've never been for it. A lot of the league would like to expand the last two minutes and make, there are a couple teams who would like to make every call public, let everybody see everything. 
Um, but does the league want to expose its referees like that? And do they want uh, – I, I don't know that it's going to go that far, but I know there's some that would like for it to go, or they would like for at least the data to all be made public or made made known and available to each team. But if you make the data available to each team, it's probably going to get out in the public arena too. So those are all things that the league office is grappling with on this. Silver's in a really tough spot, right, Adrian? Because on one side, he's got his owners and Cuban and Sarver, and on the other side, he's got his referees. And he's got a he, – he cannot, you know, super piss off either either party, right? No, and, and you know, even look yesterday at the statement that they gave us for the story. They, they went after Lyceum, who's the general counsel, who's the attorney for the referees. They didn't go after the referees in the statement. They, they – I don't think it was an accident because they don't want to – they want to protect – the rest in every way that they can. There was a conference call, and I reported on this in, in the story yesterday. There was a conference call with Byron Sproul, who's the president of League Ops, who they hired, former Notre Dame football player uh, years ago, um, who had who is now really dealing day-to-day with the officials and had a conference call with many of the officials, most of the 64 refs in the league. And it was a pretty emotional call. Like There was a lot of, I was told, we feel abandoned. We feel like you guys have left us um, unsupported uh, by not cracking down on whether it's, um, you know, no, whether it was the Rivers incident, whether it's Cuban, whether it's uh, any other number of issues around the league. They feel like that, that, that the league office right now isn't, they feel like it's open season on them uh, within the game environment and that the league hasn't done enough to um, back them. And so that was a big topic on a conference call that happened earlier this week among the refs. But when the league issued a statement about our story, it was really focused on Lee Seum, who, again, is the, is the, you know, the attorney who's been really the, uh, the advocate for the referees, and they were careful not to single out their referees and in this battle and sort of put it on somebody that, um, you know, they could just put the brunt out of a quote unquote, an outsider. It's an incredibly fascinating story. Everybody can head over to Yahoo's the vertical and check that out about referees asserting the NBA's allowing Mark Cuban to wield power over them via threats and intimidation. Um, uh, let me move on to something that happened earlier in the week, uh, which is everybody's kind of sitting around their house earlier in the week. There's a, uh, there's a game that the Knicks are going to play. That's about to be going on. And you report, you drop the woge bomb that Derrick Rose is not there and nobody knows where Derrick Rose is. Where I mean, th- This has to rank rather highly in terms of stories that you know you're about to tweet out and everybody's going to go, what in the world is going on? It was already known, though, Chris. It was already known he wasn't at the guard, right? He didn't show up. He wasn't there in warm-ups. And it was clear the Knicks didn't really have an explanation Um you know, I think what I advanced on it anyway or, or reported was that that nobody knew, nobody had gotten a hold of him. Nobody had an answer as to why he wasn't there. And his whereabouts were unknown. I had heard earlier in the evening that maybe he had gone back to Chicago, but I couldn't, I wasn't sure about that. I didn't report that. And then later it came out that he got on a plane and, and went home. Uh, but, you know, there's no question. It's just you, you can't do that. Wh- whatever's going on. It, it, does, it doesn't take long just to shoot a text to call your agent and say, can you let them know I've got a family situation? You know you have to do that. And like, like when we had summer jobs as kids, we knew we had to let somebody know, right? Like we weren't going to – I wasn't going to cut the grass at the cemetery. i got to call somebody, right? And then – but when you're, when you're the starting point guard for the Knicks and they're playing a game at the Garden, like you know you've been in the league long enough. So there's really no uh, – there's no acceptable excuse outside of if there had been some, you know, obviously if there had been some devastating traumatic accident or, or, or something with family where people would understand, but if it was just, you know, and I'm not saying it wasn't significant what was going on, but if you're on a plane and you're flying back and you're on your way to the airport, you know, you got to let somebody know that's what you're doing. Was that a real life example? Did you really cut grass at the cemetery? I did cut grass at the cemetery. Really? That was in fact, it was an old, yeah, in fact, you had to be really careful. It was an old cemetery. And if you move the lower, if you, and I did do it once and I felt like, 
the the tombstones were so old and brittle. Oh, no. You would have to walk that line between going up close to it to be able to get all the grass, but not hit the tombstone with your mower and knock it over. And I did remember I knocked one over early in it. And you had to be, that was the biggest challenge of that was not knocking. Cause these were like 1800, 1900 tombstones. And well, one of the, the there are a few different cemeteries we had to tra- travel around to cut grass on, but the really old ones. Yeah. You had to be careful to not, um, uh, what do you do? Uh, do you just try to set it back? You try to just set it back. Yeah. You try to set it back up. I mean, oh, what no. are you going to do? Like nobody's. Yeah. But I mean, I like to believe if it wasn't me, somebody, it would have gotten knocked over. Some, I, I think it was only one or two. Right. You, um, just but you sort of don't realize it. So you push your lower up, you know, it's like Bill Murray and on the golf course, you're looking around to see if anybody's looking and you walk away from the, <laughs> you know, the thing, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that job and working, I worked in a school, I worked in a middle school one summer as, as like as a janitor custodial and one of the jobs was take a razor blade and go through every desk in the school and you had to scrape the gum off of oh no you had to scrape the gum off the desk i never in my life put gum under a desk again because i knew somebody who had to clean that up so you take a razor blade and you would just scrape the gum off of every desk oh. and like you know to the kids out there don't put gum under the desk man. somebody's got to do that and it sucks it sucks this is this is this is where you so that's what home. i knew and i want to go, that's what i knew i've got to go to college like i don't want to have a real job that's, <laughs> that's what i knew having those jobs were the greatest thing because it made me realize like i can't work a real job i'm not tough enough like i better go do something you know like this and so yeah, it was a learn, good motivator you learned hard motivator. you learned hard work you learned hard work of mowing cemeteries and cleaning did, off well, gum Right. Uh, right, Hey, 7, 8, 7 a.m. Both places, man, every day. Oh, wow. All right. So trade market last week, we had the Corver deal that went down where Cleveland attains him. Millsap's name was being thrown around a lot for a little bit. Um, I'm I'm fascinated hearing what you think about this upcoming trade market and how the how, how it could be affected by a new collective bargaining agreement. Well, I think right now, the first thing about the trade market is I think there's a lot more sellers than there are buyers. And so, you know, that usually impacts, um, you know, the activity. And, and I've had a couple of teams say to me, you know, that they sort of sort of openly wondering, are we better off getting our deals done early than waiting to ride at the deadline when maybe we get – 70 cents on a dollar of what we want, or is it the deadline? Maybe we're getting 50 that waiting for the best offer. If there's a glut of teams, you know, with so few buyers and so many sellers, like, you know, a few teams said, maybe we should do our work sooner than later. Uh, but, uh, I, I think just because there are so many teams who, I mean, people have cap space, a lot of teams who want to have, who want cap space, have it this summer. And there's not a lot of teams who think they can win. You know, there's how many teams out there think they're one player away. And, you know, in the West, listen, the Clippers are trying and the Spurs are trying and the Warriors are better, but they're, you know, I think they believe that, uh, you know, those are two teams who are in absolute win now modes. The Clippers are in a spot where they just don't have anything to trade. They, they, you know, they scour the market, um, but, there's not anything that they really have on their roster because they don't want to trade from their core of guys. And then, you know, San Antonio, uh, I don't know if there's a big deal out there for them. And I don't know that, I don't know that there's teams this year looking to mortgage long-term assets to try to win this year because, you know, there's a very small chance of getting by the two best teams out there. Toronto is the interesting team to me and, and Boston because Boston certainly, come on and they've been playing great. Isaiah Thomas is playing out of his mind and, you know, they, they've crept right up there on Toronto in the division, but you know, are those teams who, you know, I think Boston's still out there, big game hunting. Could they get one of, you know, the big time players that they pursued in the summer? Uh, you know, they would, of course they would love to get Jimmy Butler. They'd love to get Paul George, but those players aren't available. And that's what Danny Ainge has been holding out for is to try to do that kind of a deal, but it's not available. Those guys aren't getting traded. Uh, not now anyway. And so, you know, the Marcus cousins is not getting traded. And so, um, I think it's, uh, and, and the second part of your question about the new CBA, there's no question that the, you know, players, you know, players know it's the mark, you know, whether it's the Marcus cousins or Chris Paul 
you know, it is really going to be hard for guys to turn down $200 million deals where they are to go somewhere else. And um, you're probably going to have to really dislike where you are. You know, Paul George will be a free agent in 18. And, you know, does he, if he's, if he goes into free agency, if he doesn't resign with the Pacers, you know, does he take a look at the Lakers and say, okay, I want to go home and, and that maybe LA can make up some of being with the Lakers can help me with some of the money endorsement wise, but you're never making up all that money endorsement wise. Um, you know, that will be an interesting test to this new, new CBA and, and the money available for players to resign. But I do think it probably will do what it's been designed to do, which is to keep on the average, probably keep more guys where they are, but there's always going to be the occasional outlier. There's always going to be like what Kevin Durant did. There's going to be somebody who's going to look at a particular situation with you know, joining up on a quote unquote super team or somebody who's going to give up a lot of money to go do that. That's that. You can never legislate that out, and there'll always be a player who's going to break away from just taking the most money where he is and do that. But this new agreement does make it easier for Oklahoma City now to resign Russell Westbrook for Houston to go forward with James Harden. And and I think the other thing, too, is look, at if you're Harden and Westbrook, you're saying, hey, I could be the MVP where I am. I don't have to be on the Cavs or – with all the talent in Golden State, that I can get some individual things, big shoe deals, be in the MVP conversation uh, by being where I, you know, being, I want to say a one-man show, but being the guy with no close second in Oklahoma or Houston. And I think that's, and, and then hope to try to recruit somebody in. I think that what's going on with Harden-Westbrook this year, you know, might make that, you know, somewhat more appealing to guys that, you're maybe not going to win a championship, but you can get almost everything else um, that you want as a player in this league by, you know, staying in a, uh, you know, being the guy at a high money, you know, making two hundred million in in a little bit of a smaller market. Now, Houston's not a small market; that's a bigger market than Oklahoma. We'll get right back to it, but a quick word from our sponsor. Fueling our bodies every day can often feel like hard work. Sometimes it's challenging to decide what to eat or prepare a proper meal, but feeling good about what you eat doesn't have to be an unattainable goal, thanks to Soylent Drink. Each bottle of Soylent Drink fulfills more than 20% of your daily nutritional requirements, providing you with the freedom to choose how you spend your time. Ingredients include protein isolate from soy, fats from sunflower oil, and carbs derived from beets. Plus, the flavors like cacao, fruity nectar, and subtly sweet original, eating right also tastes great. Soylent Drink satisfies your stomach's hunger for immediate calories and your mind's hunger for long-term good nutrition. So don't wait. Try Soylent today. And just for our listeners, you can go to Soylent.com and use the code NBA Show for 15% off. That's Soylent.com, code NBA Show. Do you buy that Millsap is not going to move, that he is off the trade market, or is that, is that a ploy? And uh, I think people thought, well, Millsap might be the biggest name out there that could move. Could you mm-hmm. foresee any circumstance um, where he is not the biggest name? Is, well, there, what, what, uh, yeah, and here – Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Chris. And, like, what I reported last week, that day, was that West Wilcox has started calling teams and said, He's off the market. We're not trading him now. Now, certainly, and as I reported, for now, he's off the market. Now, for now, it could last till next week. It could last till the week before the deadline. But the Hawks had been winning, and I think Mike Budenholzer was not dying to tear this thing down. And I think I don't think there's any doubt they'll revisit this closer to the trade deadline, see where they are as a team, make some decisions about going forward. Do they want to resign him this summer? Um, and if they don't, and they want to start reshaping the roster, then they probably they probably move them. But I think for the for the Hawks, I think you know they have time to make that decision. Uh, they're really playing well right now, and uh, but there's no question. Like I, I, nothing's forever. And again, I think a lot of teams are dubious about it. They thought okay, they weren't getting the offers that they wanted, but <clears throat> Atlanta hadn't really. Teams who I know are really interested in Millsap hadn't really had serious – Atlanta hadn't really – Atlanta let them know, we, we may make them available here. Um, we'll get back to you. We want to see how this next stretch of games goes. 
And then they won three or four, two or three in that stretch. And so no one really got down the road with them on talks and teams made offers, but they didn't really press the market to see what the best offer for them was. They kind of pulled him off of it before they did that. So, uh, but there's no question that they may revisit it again here before the trade deadline um, uh, and see what, how, you know, how they want to go forward with this group. Do they want to just completely retool it, you know, sort of do a modified retool, uh, you know, it's a tough call for Atlanta. But, you know, Cleveland's put a lot of teams in this situation, which is we can't beat them. Like, we're not good enough to beat them. Do we just keep going along and stay in the, try to stay in the middle? Or do we say, all right, we've had enough of this. Let's gut it and try to get a franchise guy and, and come back at it another way. It's, it's a difficult question. You're almost sort of just waiting for LeBron to move, <laughs> move out of his prime so that everybody can, you know, go back to, you know, trying to win a conference that has been unwinnable for, for into its seventh year now. Earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned just in passing that Blake Griffin, uh, that they won't move off of their core. Boogie Cousins won't be traded. And those are names that come up all the time. Who Who is the biggest name you think could be had? I don't know about, Chris, the biggest name. I, I think it just so much of who can be had is based on who can offer what. Right. And so, listen, anybody can be had with mm-hmm. the right, except for, you know who the guys are that can't. We we all know who they are generally, sure. but almost everybody else is available for, um, you know, if Danny Ainge calls you somewhere with three first round picks and two great, you know, two of their really good young players and the Brooklyn pick, you go, okay, somebody that we're not thinking about right now might be had. So I, I, that's a tough question to answer. And I don't normally like to answer it because right. no one's like, no one's really available until there's a great, an, an offer somebody wants to, to take on them. And, and I think I guess it would have been better phrased uh, for me to say is that it, it, it being shopped around there, there's no sense that, that, that some big name is being shopped around, I guess would have been a better way to put it. Right. No, th- there isn't. And, and I yeah. think, um, you know, if you're Chicago, you know, if you're Indiana with Butler and George, it's just, it's hard to get off those players and, and to decide that we're going to trade, you know, young players in their prime, all-star players until we absolutely have to, and you know they can do they can reshape that roster around Jimmy Butler in Chicago. I don't know why they would move him to do that. And so you know Indiana is a different you know they they don't have Paul George on a contract as long as uh, Chicago does with Butler. But um, I think the Jimmy the, the Paul George issue at the very least I think they'll revisit it this summer. I'm, I'm sure they'll get a sense of where his head is and he'll get us try to get a sense of where the organization's headed. And then maybe they have some conversations at the end of the season going into the last year of his deal. But uh, I just don't see any uh, – I don't see right now any – so, you know, Rudy Gay is the one player who, you know, he's made it clear he doesn't want to resign in Sacramento. But they've been in sort of the playoff chase here, and they're, there's almost – any deal Sacramento does for Rudy Gay is more of a long-term deal. It's probably a young player. It's a pick or a pick. And they're not getting back somebody who probably helps them as much as Rudy's does this season. So if you're sacked, you might as well at least take it down to the trade deadline and see where you are as a team, how badly you want to make the playoffs. And they may make the decision and sack. You know what? We think we can get in the playoffs. That's really important to us. We're going to roll the dice that, you know, maybe we lose him for nothing this summer, or maybe somehow we convince him to stay because we just overpay him based on the market. But that's certainly his name, they've talked with a lot of teams about Rudy Gay. You know, they've asked for, you know, pretty significant package for him. No one's uh, met it yet. Oklahoma City was pretty serious with them. And I reported this back uh, before Cameron Payne's injury. His name was, you know, they, they got pretty close there. And then Payne got hurt and that deal went away. And I don't know that that's going to be revisited again now that he's, he's back. What do you think about the all-star game voting process that has been instituted this year? I wish they would just leave it with the fans. It's like, the, what say do the fans have in anything in the NBA? Like, everything is, nothing is about the fans. Everything is about the business, the industry. Like, I don't care what, like, if, if fans want to see Dwayne Wade until he's 40 years old, then let Dwayne Wade start in the All-Star game. Like, if I'm a player and you say, well, that's not fair to the players, you know what? <laughs> At the end of the season, they do an All-NBA team. And you'll remember your first team, second team, you will get your recognition. But I'm a believer if the fans wanted to keep watching Tracy McGrady in the All Star Game passes prime, Kobe passes prime, um, 
I have no problem with it because there is nothing in this league that's for them. There's not enough that's for them. Is there anywhere you draw the line, though? Is there anywhere you draw the line? If 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 the Zaza Pachulia thing worked, <laughs> would you say, "Hey, they voted him. He starts." They voted him in. No, I don't. I don't care. I really don't. I don't <laughs> like. I don't think this is some. It's it's an exhibition game. It's a it's a circuit. It's not a serious game. Why should I, it just doesn't? I'm just saying this. I get why it bothers other people, and I guess if I was a player, it bothered me. I don't really care. Like I just think, I don't think media should be voting in this. Let the players let the players vote out. And let the players and fans of, and I know they've they've changed the voting, um, the the way they've made the voting now weighted on you know part part of the, partly the fans, but because now there's another weighting of fifty percent here of of media, of, I guess media and players. There, I would be shocked if the league doesn't find a way to make sure Zaza's does not is not in that game. Like like they're going to be able to. They're they're the only ones that are going to know the sort of the the formula here. Right. And the league doesn't want that to happen, and I doubt it will happen if they don't want it to happen. But um, I would think getting no votes for the players and no votes from the media probably is enough to keep you out. Uh, that probably aren't enough fan votes to overcome all that, but I, I'm not positive on the formula. But I, I, I'm disappointed they took it away from the fans, and, and I just think that um, like in the it's not our job in the media – to decide bonuses and contracts to decide, you know, you look at how the contract extension, how, you know, the Rose rule, where if you're first, second, third, first, second team NBA, you know, you got a higher percentage of the salary cap and that is voted on by a media vote at the end of the year. Well, well, we shouldn't be involved in that. It's not our job to impact salary caps, impact contracts. It's our job to cover the league. It's their league. I just don't think, the people who cover, you know, that's just my, I have no problem with anybody who does it. I'm not passing judgment. But for me, I don't think I should be impacting that. That's why I don't vote for anything, uh, any of the awards, because I feel like the league should be voting for its own awards. It's their league. And now it's one thing for me to say, hey, I think Russell Westbrook's the MVP, or I think Harden's the MVP, or I think LeBron's the MVP. That's one thing for anybody to have their opinion and express it. But to actually vote, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's what our role should be. Um, but I do think with the all-star, uh, with the all-star voting, I, I'm disappointed they took it away from fans because to me, it's not, it's about who they want to see. It's an exhibition game. And if they want to see, you know, the biggest names in the game, um, then let them see those guys come out, play their 15 minutes as a starter. And then you have a deep bench, the guys who, who should have been quote unquote voted in, they will still be there. They will still be named by the coaches and they will have their all-star weekend and they'll be on the court. Um, and so I don't think anybody really gets cheated by the fans voting in who they want. Adrian, you've written recently a couple of different articles about this Ice Cube Pro League, um, and, and he's attained Allen Iverson, and I've seen <laughs> yeah. Roger Mason. And these guys. Okay, what is this, and should I as an NBA fan care? I don't know. I think it's, you know what it is? It's like a, it's kind of a fun Listen, there's been a few different leagues in this vein that have not made it uh, in all sports. Um, you know, what's kind of interesting about it is, I guess, you know, it's three on three. It's half court. They're not trying to make anybody play full court. You know, there will be some big names. You know, Allen Iverson is a player coach. And sort of essentially what they're doing is there's no owners. There's no team owners. There's nobody trying to that. They'll just play like an eight game schedule where all the teams will be in the same place. So you have like, let's see, eight teams eight teams playing like one game each in the course of a day, like have a music act at halftime and then go city to city. So they might start in Brooklyn and then go to Vegas and then go to LA, wherever, wherever they're going to go. And, you know, ice T has been the, the, the backer of this. Certainly he can bring sort of <laughs> ice that. cube, ice cube. Uh, you're going to get us killed. Uh, ice cube. Ice, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Ice cube. Ice cube. Listen, the greatest, the greatest, um, the words I never, ever thought I'd write. Ice Cube told the vertical when I talked to him for the story when they were launching the league. Ice Cube told the vertical. I said, I never thought I'd write that. And then I was thinking in the second reference, do I just say Cube or do I say Ice? I used Ice Cube again, but 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 anyway, uh, yeah, that I, would I have think been great it, if you would have shortened you know, it to Cube. And then Cube said, Yeah, I, Cube said so. Said Cube, but, but anyway, it's uh, but you know they're going to get you know Chauncey Billups is going to play and yeah and. Uh, I think it's more like these environments are more like sort of like almost like a festival. Like you got music, 
you got entertainment, you got some, you know, you got some celebrity, you know, some big name guys playing three on three. And then you go on to the next city next week. They're not trying to play a 40 game schedule. They're going to play like eight dates. And so in that construct, I could see for a while, a curiosity of people going out. Well, people watch this on TV. I know they want to get a TV deal. I don't know how much people would watch it on TV. I think they'd watch once. I think some, you know, some basketball junkies would say, well, let me see what Iverson looks like. Can he play in that? Like Iverson against Chauncey. Yeah, they might watch that. Now you're going to sit down and watch it every week. Probably not, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's some interesting names coming back in the fold. And, and when I found out Iverson was going to be a player coach, I said, you know, like I'm not covering this league, like I'm covering, but when I hear Iverson is signed up to be a player coach, I'm like, I'm right in that. Like I'm not, people mm-hmm. a, still care about Iverson more than, you know, there's, there's stars in the NBA who don't, there aren't as, there isn't as much interest in them as there still is. And Allen Iverson and the fact that he's going to be a player coach is, is perfect given his given his history. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think though that there's some serious people involved in this. I mean, I, Ice Cube's a serious businessman. He's built he, he he's built uh, a, a really good. I mean, if you look at what he's built in his, uh, I don't know if empire is the word, but uh, he, he's transition and done a lot of things pretty well in acting beyond music and, and business. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I think the, the, the idea of not trying to do like a full schedule where, and, and each city has a team and you just take the show to a new city. Um, you're not trying to sell the same show to people in the same city for like 20 dates in the summer, which wouldn't work. Right. But if you hit a few different, if you hit eight cities, I, I could see a scenario where that's, that, that has an audience that, that um, might have some staying power. Yeah, I can kind of dig it. It's kind of like the old school, like baseball. Like you hear those old baseball barnstorming tours and stuff way back when, right? Exactly. One one time to go check them out. Um, Let me ask you about Adam Silver. And we talked earlier about the the situation he's got with the referees and the owners dealing right now. Um, Just your, uh, your overall thoughts on the job he's done as commissioner, obviously got the deal done with Michelle Roberts and how Silver's NBA is different than Stern's or if it is. I think it is different. I think it's a little more inclusive. I think there, Adam cares what a lot of people think. He listens to a lot of people. He's very curious about other people's ideas and their point of view. Uh, I think David Stern, especially as he got older and a little, as he got older and the league was changing around him. I don't know if he adjusted when, when he, when Stern first took over and all these owners who bought teams for a few million dollars and their value of their teams went through the roof with, with the great Lakers Celtic teams and, and the television money started pouring in and then the Jordan era, there were a lot of owners who just followed uh, and probably rightfully so just followed whatever David wanted. They were fine with because he had made them a lot of money. He had, they could sell their franchises for, you know, significantly more than they bought him for. The value of everything went up. There came a new kind of owner in the league, who a lot more self, you know, who paid uh, hefty prices for teams, who were struggling to some struggling to make money on those teams in, in the old, uh, you know, based on the old economics of it, and wanted a far greater say in how the league was run. I don't know that he adjusted as well to that, where he just was sort of the days of him just pounding his fist and saying, "This is the way it's going to be. This is what we're doing." We're over, and I think Adam navigates all that much better. I think he's able to um, interact, deal with a lot of different owners, a lot of demanding owners, uh, easier than Stern does. Stern did, and I think that's made for, and yet still be tough enough with guys to, to remind, hey, I'm in charge. This is the way, and, you know, when he's had to make decisions or when he's had to sell a decision, sell an idea on people whether it was moving the all-star game out of Charlotte. I mean, there had to be some selling to some people in the league. Of why are we doing this? Um, whether it was even the Donald Sterling, you know, publicly, everybody in the league, no, there was no owner who wasn't publicly going to back Adam Silver. Politically, you couldn't do it. Privately, there were a lot of owners questioning him doing it because they wondered, that could be me. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I didn't say what. Maybe I don't have the history that Sterling has. Or you're not going to find me on tape saying that, but there's something else out there on me, maybe. And if that ever got out, am I going to lose my? If we set a precedent where I lose my team too, and so 
he had to sell the Sterling thing uh, internally as well. So I think he's been pretty adept at doing that. And I think one thing he's done a really great job of is his, his connection with the players. The players, especially in the later years, saw Stern as the enemy. Uh, he had, you know, in the 80s, I think he had a different relationship with Michael, or excuse me, with, with uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. He, he wasn't seen, he was seen as sort of a partner in the building of the league. He was later seen by players as an enemy, uh, a guy that they just, they just fought and collected bargaining, the guy who put the dress code in on them. Where Adam has a different rapport with players, uh, a different relationship. I mean, guys will come through the city on trips to New York, and they'll, star players will come in, and they'll just go sit for an hour with Adam Silver and, and just you know shoot the shit with him. And so, like, he's done a really good job of that. And so, when he's got something he has to sell to the players, you know, whether you know his relationship with LeBron James and you know LeBron's inner circle or. Uh, other star players, he's got relationships with them. So if there's big stuff coming down the pipe and he needs to get them on board to get, let's say, get players on board for something, he can reach out to those guys in a way that Stern couldn't do later on. And so I think that served him pretty well. It's a hard deal to be popular amongst everybody, but it's he, he so far he certainly seems to have pulled that off. All right, Adrian, I got to ask you about this because uh, I told you, and I've told you many times that uh, one of my favorite sports books ever is The Miracle of St. Anthony, a season with Coach Bob Hurley and basketball's most improbable dynasty. For everybody that knows you as a newsbreaker in the NBA, years ago you wrote this book. I'd encourage everybody listening to go get this book if you never read it. And I looked it up last night. I don't know if you know this. It is what a week away from the ten-year anniversary. You know, I didn't realize that. How about that? Um, thanks for reminding me on that, Chris. Ten years yeah, ago, it's good. It was a great. It feels like it was just. I really had a great year, and I appreciate that on the book. I I spent a year with in uh, following around in, uh, St. Anthony's team and Bob Hurley Senior in Jersey City, and followed a group of players, young players and kids through their their, you know, their school year. And then the, the greater story of sort of inner city Catholic high school, inner city Catholic schools in America, which are dying and St. Anthony's is fighting now as they have been, but they're sort of at a breaking point now of trying to stay open. And you've seen all over the country, uh, you know, generations were raised on schools like St. Anthony's in cities and they've gone away as the populations moved out of the city and gone to the suburbs. A lot of those Catholic parishes have not survived that and the schools don't survive it. And so that was sort of the broader story around uh, following Bob and the team. But I, I never enjoyed a year more. I never enjoyed anything I've done as much as I did that book and that experience, just riding around on the bus with them and sitting in the locker room. You know, Bob is a Hall of Fame coach. He could have coached at any level. And you really saw a genius at work. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I think about it often and still keep in touch with a lot of the people uh, that I got to know and doing – the book and and it's still fun to hear people who uh you know have read it recently or read it for the first time even 10 years later it's had pretty good staying power and you know bob's story is timeless and that, that group of players was pretty you know i think their story resonates whenever you'd read it uh but i i've been i was proud of um uh really proud of that because um it was a uh, uh, I was proud to get to tell their story deserved to get told that the sisters who ran the school uh, were really special and, and devoted their life to it. And uh, uh, I was glad that, that they gave me the opportunity to kind of come in and, and tell the story. You can get it for 11 bucks in paperback at Amazon. Brand new. So tell everybody, this is a 10-year you anniversary. You got to go get it. The Miracle of St. Anthony. Also, I did want to ask you, the, both the, are you, uh, did you foresee a circumstance where we'd look up and Dan Hurley's got a D1 job, Bob Hurley's got a D1 job? Did you figure uh, that Bob Hurley Sr., that his kids would all become coaches, pretty much? Well, the, I thought Danny would be in college. And Danny, when I did the book, Danny was St. Benedict's Prep, and he had had chances to jump to college as an assistant, but I remember he, you know, he was waiting to try to jump as a head coach, which he did get to do at Wagner, had good success at Wagner, and now he's having really good success at Rhode Island. Uh, Bobby, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought when I did the book, Bobby was scouting that year for the Sixers. He was still trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And then Danny hired Bobby at Wagner College, and then he went to Rhode Island with him. And then from there, Bobby got the Buffalo job and then turned Buffalo into 
some other offers and took Arizona State. But I didn't see Bobby necessarily getting into coaching. I, I didn't sense when even 10 years ago that his heart was that – that's where it would take him. But he really poured himself into it. He's you know done a tremendous job, and it's, yeah, it's fun to see him. Uh, he's a really good guy and has lived – you know, really interesting life, and uh, it, it's to me, it's amazing how quickly he's moved himself up the coaching ladder. And, and Danny, you know, it's funny. I remember going to one of Danny's practices when I was recording the book out, and he said, "You got to see this." I think he was a junior. I want to say he was a no, maybe it was the beginning of his senior year. And he's like, "You got to look at this kid. I've got him." He, he threw a ball off the top of the backboard and got it like three quarters of the way up the backboard, and it was J.R. Smith. Oh, and um, you know, J.R. was. Before his senior year, we were in the fall. I remember when we sat in the gym, and he said, you know, he really wants to go. To, I remember him telling me he really wants to go to Carolina. Um, not sure he's going to have the uh, – get eligible to play. At that time, he was not talking about the NBA draft. But there's a scene in the book where I go to Danny's – St. Benedict plays um, – I think it was uh, – was it Blair Academy? Where Joakim Noah's – was Joakim at Blair Academy? He was at – one of the prep schools in Jersey, it may not be Blair. I don't think it was Blair. But anyway, state championship game, it's Danny Hurley and J.R. Smith against Joe Kim Noah, Noah's team. And Danny gets thrown out of the game. Or no, excuse me. I think J.R. falls out of the game and then takes a sneaker off and throws it up into the stands and then gets tossed, like get out of the gym. Then Danny loses it. Danny gets thrown out. So Danny and J.R. are in the hallway peeking through the window trying to watch the end of the game and and Joe Kim is, uh, who was a good, like, he was going to Florida, but no one knew he was going to be, you know, what he became. Like, he was a, like, that night I was like, wow, this guy's really, this guy's really good. Uh, but I do remember, yeah, Danny and JR standing out in the hallway. I have that scene in the book, and I was sitting with Bob Sr. I was sitting with Bob Sr. in the stands. I rode with him to the game. It's kind of some color for the book of watching Danny go try to win a state title and, <laughs> there's Jr. throwing his shoes up in the stands and, and Danny getting tossed and falling right out the door. It looks like it was Lawrenceville, I think is the name of it. He went to Lawrenceville, Poly- right. Yeah, Lawrenceville Lawrence. Prep. Right. Good call. Yes. Couple, couple quick things, Adrian. Uh, when was the last time your phone was turned off? Oh, it's um, only to, re- well, only to reset it. I, I don't leave it off. Like <laughs> I turn the, I mean, I turn the ringer off in church. I turn the ringer off at, uh, yeah, I turned the ringer off. I'm not, I'm not sure I ever turned the phone itself off. That's probably not a good idea. Um, but, but I do have, have the ringer off sometimes. Have you walked yeah. out, have you walked out of church to break a story? <sighs> well, I do remember this one Christmas Eve. I always think of it on Christmas Eve, like three years ago. I, I don't remember. It might have been three years. I got it. We were on the steps going in on Christmas Eve, and I got a call of a trade. Oh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It wasn't a big trade, but I was I was on the steps of church. And we were walking in, and I get a call, and I said, "Hey!" And so someone told me what was going on, and and I just had that look for my wife, like, "Really? You're going to do?" That? I'm like, it's, "I'm like, it's just going to take a minute. I'm just going to, you know." <laughs> so I walked down the stairs, and I can still see my kids are younger and I can still see them standing there in their Christmas clothes and my wife with her arms on her hips just going like, come on, man, you know, but, but, but it wasn't, but we didn't leave church. We were on the steps going in and, you know, you got to get there really early anyway for like that Christmas Eve mass. So it wasn't like they were starting the thing. So I think I have some outs on that one. I have some, you know, I can justify that on some level in my head. Do you watch other sports? And do you have favorite teams in other sports? Because right, your whole your whole life is consumed with this NBA and breaking NBA news and keeping up with what's going on in the league. Do you have any time for other sports? Yeah, I watch. Like my son's a big Patriots fan. Like I grew up, a, I grew up in New England. I grew up like a big Steve Grogan, Sam Bam Cunningham. Like that was those are my teams. Like my Super Bowl was watching the Bears trample. We had a trample the Patriots. Uh, but he's a Patriot fan. So like when they're playing a playoff game or something, I'll sit with them and, you know, he's excited about it. Um, I can't say I, I can sit and watch football. Like, you know, like, I mean, I watched like the big, but the, I watched the fourth quarter the other night of the Alabama Clemson game. Like, you, you know, you're, you know, I was a general columnist for yeah. a lot, you know, a bunch of years before I started covering the NBA full time. So I had been at Super Bowls. I've been at the Olympics. I've been at, you know, uh, World Series. I've covered other, you know, I've been around it. I don't really miss any of it in terms of covering it, but I still like to 
um, you know, in the summer, you know, we'll watch s- some baseball and stuff. But, but I, you're not necessarily I a fan of, of anybody. But you're not necessarily no, a no, fan no, I, of anybody. I can't say I'm a fan. No, no, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of anybody. Do you remember the first time you saw somebody call one of your news items a Woj bomb? You know, I really don't. Um, I want. We got to find I mean, out who coined that. Started on Twitter. Yeah, I know. I wonder who. Yeah. Co- that, I wonder who coined it. Maybe yeah, I'm should... not sure about that. I like. Do you think eh, I could? Trade I don't know it? how you. Uh, eh, maybe it's like a genealogy. I, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't remember uh, that. Um, but uh, yeah. maybe I should claim it. You know, maybe I should claim I did it. Yeah. Trademark it or something. What? Would I have to give you royalties if I trademark Woj? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it's all yours. I did see T-shirts. Somebody, somebody did tweet at me once that they had T-shirts, and they tweeted like at me, "Hey, I've got these T-shirts," and they had like a bomb and a like. But I didn't really. I don't. I don't know if they did it for their as a joke or whatever. But I did see that one time. But that's you know, uh, yeah. It's. Uh, Do you feel pressure now uh, because of it? Because it has become such a big deal, because it's like, wow, here's here's the news breaking, you know, whoa, Jane, like I'll even see, like, you know, I don't know, there'll be some kind of like news story about somebody somebody missing or something, and people will joke, you know, I bet Woj knows where he is or whatever. Or like the NFL draft. They're expecting you to tweet out who the, you know, second pick of the NFL draft is or something. Do you feel pressure now? No. You know what, no. Chris, I, I'm lucky to get to do this. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm lucky to get to do this job. Um, you know, the, we talked about earlier, the jobs that I had as a kid, you know, my dad worked in a factory for 35 years. Like he really worked like I'm lucky to get to do this. I'm lucky. I like the, I love the NBA. I really love the people in it. I like the players. I like the coaches. I like the GMs. I like the agents. I like a lot of the owners. I mean, I really like the people. I like, I feel lucky that I get to be around it because not everybody is that lucky in their job or has something that they really look forward to. So, you know, I just, to me, I love working at it. I try to do the best I can and, you know, you're going to get some, you're going to miss some. Um, but I, I, and I really believe that. Like I, I, I never imagined when I was in college and high school, you know, I interned at the Hartford current. Um, like I grew up in Bristol and I, and I used to drive to the Hartford current at night and work in the office. And all I ever wanted was like, if I could get a job at the current and maybe get like the university of Hartford beat someday. And I could go travel to like Hartford was in the knack and they'd play like Maine and New Hampshire and play like Boston university. And I'd say, wow, like George Smith was the writer who covered the team. And I thought if, like, that's pretty cool. You get to do overnight trips. You get to drive up, you get to stay in a hotel and cover the game and file your story. And I'm like, that's great. I mean, that's, that's what I hoped I could do. So like everything after that, everything after the University of Hartford beat for me, like when I was like a teenager and at that age, like feels like gravy. And I still try to keep that mindset because I don't take it for granted. And, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in our industry, and you know this, Chris, like there's so many talented people. This industry has shrunk in a lot of ways. And there's so many really talented, gifted people that you've worked with, that I've worked with who aren't, you know, who are struggling to find work, struggling to keep jobs at places that are in trouble. And I'm not any better than any of those guys. A lot of cases, most of them, a lot of them are better than I am. So I feel lucky that I get to do this because like, we're not entitled to these jobs and we're not, um, you, know, you got to work at them. Uh, but I'm frankly surprised. I still get to do it. I'm surprised. Like no one's pulled the plug on me yet because you know, I kind of feel like it's going to happen any day. Stop. But it's great that you still feel that way and have such a great perspective about everything. Adrian, I can't thank you enough for taking time to come on this today. Everybody check out uh, Adrian at Yahoo's The Vertical. I would tell you to follow him on Twitter, but like everybody does. And then uh, The Vertical Podcast with Woj. Hey, you're the you're the best, man. I'm su- super appreciative. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun, man. I really, really appreciate being on the show with you. Thanks, Woj. That's going to do it for another Ringer NBA show for this week. Catch up with us next week. If you like what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we'll talk to you next week. Everybody have a great weekend.